I got a tenant in COVID. I think that's where all the bad tenants came out, you know, to see the sunlight. But um, I got this tenant. They said that they were just going to be in our home for maybe like two months while they were looking to buy. I think a month in, his wife, who was the one I had been dealing with, said that she had to leave. She had to escape because of domestic violence. And so I was like, oh man, what the heck? I've never talked to this guy before and now I'm stuck with this guy. And this place was fully furnished because I come from Airbnb and short-term rental. And the place was destroyed. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, today we are here with Ziana McIntyre. She's a entrepreneur of many levels. She is the the host of the Investify podcast. She's also an investor-friendly realtor, and obviously she's an investor herself. So, Ziana, we are super pumped. And a bigger pockets author. And a bigger pockets author. I forgot that one. That's like the most important <laughs> one too. I apologize, Ziana. Nice. Um, we'd love to jump right into it. Sure. So could you tell us your craziest real estate story or transaction you've had? I'm going to tell you about my craziest tenant. So, you know, it's funny with these stories because I want to be like, actually, I've been in real estate like 10 years and it's not that crazy. So, you know, most of my deals come from the MLS. They're pretty like mellow. Everything's worked out really well. So I try not to scare people away, but I see what you guys are doing. Um, basically, I got a tenant in COVID. I think that's where all the bad tenants came out, you know, to see the sunlight. But um, I got this tenant. They said that they were just going to be in our home for maybe like two months while they were looking to buy. Um, and so I kind of got them in without doing enough vetting because that was a big mistake that I learned on my part. But I think a month in, his wife, who was the one I had been dealing with, said that she had to leave. She had to escape because of domestic violence. And so I was like, oh, man, what the heck? I've never talked to this guy before, and now I'm stuck with this guy. But he seemed okay, and he wanted to stay, so I let him stay. Uh, a couple of months later, he's having a hard time paying rent. So I have somebody go take a look at the property because we're going to try to get him out. And this place was fully furnished because I come from Airbnb, it's short-term rental, and the place was destroyed. He had broken the bed, and so he had built like a like a, a lofted bed in the living room above the couch. The couch was broken as well, but he was sleeping in this crazy loft. He had decided to hang the TV from the ceiling, so he had drilled holes into the TV. The TV didn't work anymore because of the drilling. The it was hanging the from the ceiling from chains. I mean, there was just like crazy shit in there, and you're going like, this guy... I'm, I'm really worried about this guy. And so, you know, it, I was lucky enough to just get him out. I didn't have to evict him or anything, but the house was, I think it was like 15,000 and repairs and furniture and stuff. It was, it was a little gnarly, but it also appreciated 50 grand that year. So I was like, you know, we're okay. Yeah. We're going to be okay. That's awesome. Do you have any pictures? Uh, I do. Yeah. I could probably get yes. some of those to you. If you, if you don't mind sending them. Right. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. I was on the MLS the other day with, with a gal that's in one of our investor courses and she's like, Hey, can you help me look at this deal? And we were all analyzing this together with this group yeah. that was on a zoom call and the people literally screwed in a fan on the ceiling that was just hanging <laughs> down and I'm like, what? That's great. So, that's, so they're like, cool. no Reminds ceiling fan. We'll just yeah. put one of those standing fans and just screw it into the ceiling. And that's our own, our own creation. It's amazing. 
That's our own creation. Yeah, I love it. So thank you for sharing. Like one of the things that it's always like been so interesting to me is whether it be an agent or an investor, the real estate world is just like crazy with like stories, either like difficulty negotiating with sellers or the transaction. So we like obviously love to show that. So thanks for bringing yes. us into your world. Tell us like, what was life for you like pre-real estate and then what kind of transitioned you into the game? Yeah, um, I always loved homes. And so I kind of thought that it, there would be something there with real estate, but I grew up really poor. And so my family didn't really own homes. Like we were renting, we moved a lot. And so it just didn't seem feasible. I never really saw that path. Um, and so now I think it's so important to show people like just get started, just get into one because it becomes so much easier as you go. Um, my start with real estate became like, it was really accidental. So I had heard about Airbnb after doing couch surfing for a long time. Did you guys do couch surfing? Do you know about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I haven't done it, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a website. It was really big in like mid two thousands and people could stay on your couch for free. So it was like a travelers helping travelers Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and so when Airbnb came around, it was like, Ooh, now I can do this whole helping travelers meeting people, but it's paid. Right. So that didn't seem weird Mm -hmm. to me to have like randos going to my house. Um, so from there, I just kind of started doing it, thinking it was going to be a side hustle. So a friend had told me about it that was living in New York and he made $50,000 on an apartment that he was subletting. Um, and so he was just like, man, you've got to do this. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. So I, I gave it a try kind of half-heartedly and didn't realize that it would become like my whole life. So I ended up going from renting a room to getting a couple apartments, then buying places and then managing all over the world. So I've done a lot with short-term rentals and now I've kind of moved into medium-term rentals. So that's what I'm doing post COVID. Love it. Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit. So, so tell us, we'll kind of start this way and then maybe end up coming back. What was the big thing for you in helping you transition or the decision transition from short term to So COVID, that was my big changer. So what happened was right around March 8th, uh, 2020, I was feeling like we were ramping up to be a great summer, you know, like half of spring was already booked and it was just looking like it was going to be great again. And then from one day to the next, all of the bookings canceled and it was a really scary time. There were about three months where I was going, wow, I think this business that I have fully transitioned to relying on that I built over the last eight years may just disappear. And I needed to think fast. You know, I think that's like one of the great things that we have as entrepreneurs and investors is this like creative, I'm going to swerve and try this other thing. And so I started seeing reservations or requests come in for longer stays, people that needed more space, people that were quarantining, um, relief workers. And I thought, I wonder if I could just do longer stays instead, if I can find people even from Facebook Marketplace or something like that, and then just have my places still be furnished and still manage them from afar. So I, I tested it out and it actually turned out to be easier than short-term rentals. And, um, it's, it's better definitely for regulations. So I'm, I'm really liking that now. I think it's a good strategy. That's awesome. Could we talk a little bit more about this COVID? Cause yeah. you just talked, you said your whole business almost disappeared over a three month period and you're just like, okay, we'll pivot to this. And then you just 
boom, you made it. Um, can we talk about like the emotions and the thought processes during that period before you made this pivot that was obviously a clearly su a success? Excuse yeah. me. Well, I mean, it was it was terrifying. I come from like growing up in lack and struggle, um, and I still am working on this around money. It's like I've gotten good at out earning the stress and the fear, but I haven't healed it yet. I haven't quite figured that out. And I'm I'm definitely wanting to because it's something that I'd like to write about and like help people with, but I got to figure it out for me first. And so it took me to a lot of places of being just like, I am financially independent, but if these places don't ever rent, like that kind of messes with my my plan, right? So yeah, it's it's a weird thing to be like, what is actually enough? And am I really okay from one day to the next? It's an interesting thing. Like I, I went through this thought pattern the other day. So you, you go from like, okay, I just want to pay my bills. And then it's like, okay, I want to get ahead. And then it's like, okay, I want to start forging something that literally will make me indestructible. And then it's like, well, what happens now that you're in content, we're in content. What happens if I say something that's offensive yeah. and all of a sudden now PayPal or Chase Bank says I'm no longer in a bank yeah. with you. You know, so then it's like, all right, well, do I buy a thousand acre farm and have it be completely self-sustaining so that like, I, you know, like I don't have to rely on banks. It's, it's just interesting, like how, if you're not careful, like you just have to continually level up this insane amount of success before you could feel. Yeah. So like, I would love for you to dive into like, what are the attempts? Like, give us a little bit of insight into your journey into like confronting the fear. Like what has been working so far? What, what? What maybe has not worked? That you well, share? I like to talk about the two different worlds that I straddle. So the real estate world is actually really detrimental for me. And the reason is because there's never enough. And there, the measurements of success in this world are units and, you know, how much money you're making. And that, that's how they, they say if you're worthy or not, you know, and you need to be doubling each year or whatever. There's just this kind of like... Hey, how are you? Uh, how many units do you have? Oh, okay. You're not important enough to talk to you. I'm going to move over here. Um, and the other world that I've spent a lot of time in is the financially independent world. And those people are so different. It's very much like if I hit this specific number, I will have enough and then I can do whatever I want. And this is like passion projects and, and, you know, writing or, or helping tutor people or whatever. And I think that is just a lot it's a lot of safer of a place for me to be because it's so easy for me to get in comparison and run away with the other stuff of feeling like I don't have enough Instagram followers or whatever, right? There's just so many ways to measure and to feel inadequate. So, in, and in this example, are you saying like the financially independent people that are pursuing passion projects, like that's like the desired end goal? Or do you see something even beyond that that you're searching for? Well, I think I'm searching for like peace, peace and ease. And so for me, I'm like, if I try to get to that today, like if I just sit and meditate and go, what do I need to feel today? What What is missing? And then I actually pursue that. I would probably be a lot happier than if I woke up and said, so these are my goals. I'm trying to have $10 million and this in real estate and this happening over here. And it's just so easy to fall into those traps. 
especially in, I don't know if you guys are in GoBundance or any of that kind of stuff, where people talk about, mm -hmm. oh, well, we're doing, you know, seven areas of life. So we're really holistic. And I'm like, bullshit. You were saying, this is your net worth <laughs> and this is what I do. And here are my measurements. And this is how you're going to keep me accountable to that. And I just don't think that's right. Okay, I love right. this. And Tim, just stop us if we go too down, <laughs> far down the GoBundance trail. Are you putting me in GoBundance? Oh, great. Now and... I'm going to get reported to GoBundance. This is exactly <laughs> right. You're directly to the authorities, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what I'd like for you, because like I love this. Like my degree was in math, but my passion was yeah. in philosophy. So this type of conversation is like right down the alleys of great. what I love to talk about. So go deeper, go deeper into the thought processes. So are you saying more or less that the, the actual like tracking of these pillars as a number is what's detrimental to maybe feeling the fulfillment or like, t tell us more from a philosophical level, what is wrong with the go yeah. structure? Well, I don't know enough about it because I'm not actually in GoBundance. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't like fully call them out. But I had a guy on our podcast the other day and he said that his goal was he wanted to have a million dollars in assets for every year that he was alive. And so he was like, oh, you know, I'm at like, I'm 36 years old now. And so I have like 30 million in assets that I'm like managing. And so I, I've got to keep going. And I'm like, what the hell is that goal? Like that goal means nothing. <laughs> right. You know, what is it going to be if like you get to 37 and you're 40 years old and you're like, I didn't do anything with my life. It's like, it's just a way to feel bad. I mean, maybe it's a way to motivate as well, but I just think that it's kind of like how there's gross domestic product and then there's gross domestic happiness that they do in Bhutan. And it's like, can we find other ways to measure success that have to do with health and happiness and spirituality or whatever, whatever the other aspects are. Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad you say this. So like, I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Hermosi, obviously he's burst on the scene these last few years, a lot of content he puts out. One of the things that he says, that's really framed things for me is he said, essentially a goal is a contract with yourself to be unhappy until you reach yeah. the desired outcome. And so essentially all goals in essence are delaying satisfaction. And so you're saying like, okay, well, if, in this guy in particular, your example, $36 million at 36, he is setting a perpetual never ending goal increase, <laughs> or in other words, always a dissatisfaction, yes. a deficit from happiness and fulfillment. Like that to me is crazy. And like, I'm always searching for better ways of maximizing like purpose and contentment and happiness, but like, it's never a money increase. Like that's never been my drive. What I've done is similar to, I think what you were describing earlier is I've set a specific amount that I need to hit in passive income to feel the freedom to be able to pursue complete passion projects, which this podcast yeah. is that for us. So this isn't, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably make money off of it, but at this point we haven't. And, and it's for us, it's just all about pure passion. So, and I have the, the privilege of being raised in a very spiritually minded family when, you know, and still, you know, still to this day. And so like my upbringing was very like be poor and be happy mm. and serve people. And then I found the business world and it was like this surge of energy, but like those worlds always seem to, to seem yeah. to be somewhat at odds. Like if you talk to people like in the church world or people that are more spiritual minded, they're always like, why do you work so much? And then you talk to the people that work so much and they're like, why do you want to sing Kumbaya? Yeah. You know? So like, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting to see, like try and marry those two, but you know, you need them both. Like, you know, you need to be a spiritually whole person and 
be responsible. So like, I'd love yeah. to hear more about your journey. Well, I think a big like life shaking thing that happened to me is my mother passed away pretty young. And so I, it's, it's weird. Cause I only realized this as I was writing my book, but at the time that I learned about Airbnb and started implementing that, it was the same time that my mom got a diagnosis that she was only going to live another six months. She actually ended up living two years. And at that point that she was passing away, I was closing on my first property and I was becoming financially independent. And it was as if this, this like support, my like one parent that was supporting me, oh, I'm going to cry. Um, she left yeah. as something else came in and took care of me for the rest of my life. So like Airbnb is now the support when I didn't have anything else. And so I'm just like, it's so cool the way that things happen sometimes, you know? Okay. I'm going to try to like be clear enough that I can still talk, but I am loving this conversation, by the way. Don't feel bad about me crying. No, I'm just Thank like, you. this Likewise. is dope. These yeah. are the conversations no, I always want to have. Yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Be, I'm just be you. to yes. be clear enough so people yes. can hear me, but yeah. Yeah, you're good. Cool. Anyway, feel free to dig into that, but it it is, that was definitely something that told me like, whoa, okay, what is enough? And we, our lives are limited, right? And then- what do we really want to be doing with our time? So there are times now where I kind of forget and where I'm working a lot and I go, wait a minute, is this what I want to be doing? You know? So I have to catch myself. And I, I just think that other people may not have had that blessing of interacting with death where they think that they're going to live forever. You know, we all know we're going to die sort of, Gosh, but yeah. we don't quite feel it. But it's not in the, in the present as much. Yeah. So, so tell me, how old were you when your mom passed? I was twenty-eight. You were twenty-eight. Yeah. And so your mom, if I have the story correct, your mom was passing around the time you were reaching financial independence. Yeah. Is that accurate or not? Exactly. Really? And so I was actually able to take the next two years and grieve because I, I don't think I really could have worked. You know, I worked a little bit, but it wasn't going to be enough to support myself, and I had two cash flowing properties that were just supporting my life. And so I was able to kind of build from there very slowly, but yeah, it's incredible mm -hmm. that the way that it kind of came together. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> it's in my book. I love this by the way. Book. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. So do you credit this, series of events and the timings as the main driver for keeping the balance between success and the rest of life? Like how present is that in your life? Like say on a daily or weekly basis? Yeah. You know, it fades over time, right? So that part, like just the way that that affected me so strongly, I don't feel that as much, but ever since then, I've always had this drive for like, you know, how can I be more spiritually connected? Like, am I really enjoying every moment and, and just checking in with myself a lot more than I think a lot of people do. It's hard to know what other people are doing. Right. But I, I find that I just don't take the time for granted the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it well. Yeah, no, that's yeah. so powerful. And, and just how you connected to the fact that your mom was your caretaker and the financial independence came in and just kind of took that job. And so obviously it seems like 
that obviously provided you comfort. Then you obviously were able to lean on that to, to grow. Yeah. So now that you're in this crossroads, like what do you see as being like your future? You've built this amazing investment. You've positioned it to continue to make it more safe, you know, despite what might be happening in the world. But what do you think the you in three to five to 10 years looks like? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I was having like, like because I'm a real estate agent, everything's super seasonal. And because I'm in Airbnb, it's the same way. And so everything seems so great. And then slow season comes and you're like, whoa, I am messed up, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of get reminded about how I still have some money trauma almost every year that gets like reminded to me. Um, oh, where was it going with this? I feel like I had something good. Remind me of your question. I'm going to try to come back to so it. So my, my question was essentially what, what, how, what do you see yourself in three oh, to five okay. to 10 years? Yeah. So as in a recent period, I was having another one of those kind of like, I don't know, come to Jesus moments of like, am I okay? What am I doing about money stress? And I saw, I don't know if you guys read Mr. Money Mustache. He's like a personal finance blogger. Oh my God. What yeah, have I, you been doing with your life? I know. I know. <laughs> you just gave me another thing to do. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like we need well, to check this anyway, guy out. Because one of his latest posts was like, why you'll probably never run out of money. And in it, it had a spreadsheet of like how you can track where you're, you're going from here, like your trajectory. And I think I'd always been going like, ooh, cash flow, do I have enough? I don't really know. Maybe I need to have so much more. And I filled out this spreadsheet and it showed me that even if I live, you know, 115 years, I'm probably going to die with $10 million. Like, even if I do nothing more than what I have right now, just the way things grow and property values increase and pay down and whatever. And it just made me go like, oh, I could have stopped a really long time ago. You know, what? what is the point? What are we all doing here? Um, and I think that's one of the blessings of real estate is that even if you just have one or two properties and you hold it over the 30 years and they eventually pay off, you end up with quite a lot on the other side. So I don't mm -hmm. strive for that as much anymore, but what I have is an addiction to buying real estate. So I don't know if that's happened to you, but <laughs> it's a little hard not <laughs> to go, ooh, I want to run some numbers and look at deals. So that's a whole nother can of worms, but yeah. Absolutely. So you had mentioned something towards the beginning of your response sure. that I would like to dive a little yeah, bit yeah. deeper into. Um, you said something about money trauma that keeps coming mm. up. So I'm just curious, like what, what are you thinking of when you say money trauma and, and how do you get through that? It's just deep fear around security. I think it's like what comes up. And I think one thing that has been helpful is if I go all the way to the end of the story of like, oh, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if that happens? And then you're like, well, I wouldn't die. So I guess I'm okay. But there is an easy place of just being like, oh my God, I'm not making enough this month. What does that mean? And it can be just very like anxiety producing. Um, yeah. I feel like this is a therapy session. <laughs> oh, I, I, was say, I, I might be going too no, no, deep No, you're not. Here. It's just like um, it's sending but, me down but, these roads of like thinking. Yeah. One of the things... Cognitive behavioral therapy, well, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just like where that brings yeah. me because I mean, yeah. I, 
not the same story as right. you, but um, my mother left me, yeah. right? So, like, I've always had a fear of, like, abandonment, right? Like, um, and, like, I'll probably never get rid of that. And I'm just curious if, like, this fear of insecurity might be related to your mother's passing, especially yeah. at the timing. Yeah, it definitely could have. And I also, growing up, my dad was kind of hustling different businesses. And so there were times where we had a lot of money and then times that we had no money. And I didn't understand that as a kid. And so I think that this is something I've learned in therapy, that there was some trigger in me thinking that I didn't have control over it. Now that I'm an adult, you can actually see when things are starting to turn bad and you can pivot and do something else. But as a child, you just see, oh my gosh, there's everything and then there's nothing and then there's everything and why? Does that just happen? Um, so it's easy to get scared to think that that's just going to come up again. But I'm an adult. And I can pivot, guys. <laughs> so you have power over your thoughts. You've proven yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm pretty scrappy. I don't think I'm going down. Yeah. Have you read the book Die With Zero? No, but I'll put it on my list. Put it on your it list. Sounds good. So you gave us the So you gave us the money mustache. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be we'll our check back gift in to in you. a few weeks and be like, how are you? That'd at? be awesome. Please message us. Yes. So that concept in that book is all around the fact that like, why save up money? Why pass it on? Essentially, why totally. not spend it on the experiences that you have now? Yeah. So that might be kind of an antidote to some of the thoughts you're having today. And yeah. it's, it's caused me to think a lot, you know, as far as like you, I didn't, I didn't attribute a lot of mine to money and security, but it's clearly what it's stemming from. Like, yeah. why would you want to have financial independence if it's not to offset, you know, money trauma or money insecurity? Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, the idea is, you know, very foreign to me that, okay, well, let's work in reverse. Yeah. You know, let's, let's figure out how to scale down and, and use it all right now, obviously in a responsible way, but yeah. I'd be curious to get your take on that. No, but. I think that could be really healing because there's times where I go, okay, if, if like I couldn't make any more money and I, you know, things just kind of tightened up, I am such a flexible and creative person. It's like, I would go live in a cheaper country. And then maybe if it got that bad, I would start pet sitting full time and I wouldn't even have a house, you know? And then I, yeah, there's so many ways that you can be really scrappy and live with little and that's one thing that Mr. Money Mustache talks about is frugality is a muscle. And so if you don't forget the ways that you were scrappy when you were either poor or a college student or whatever, even if you grow to this place of comfort, you can always come back and strengthen that muscle again and, and get back into it. So I know that I have that in myself. So I really shouldn't be afraid because I know that I would find a way to make it work. A hundred percent. And I don't think you could take like what you've learned and how to make money, you can't take that out of you. Yeah. Like it's so weird. The pre-business me, the pre-real estate me, like, you know, I'd go work a job. Yeah. And now the me is like, I would never go work a job. I, I I know how to create way more than a job could pay me on in any of 50 different fields. So like, I appreciate you're saying that the frugality, but also probably your money-making ways are probably a muscle that you, like you can't unlearn yeah. at this point. Like even if the current properties you own, maybe stop paying out in rents or, or your local government doesn't allow you to collect rents for 10 years. Like, seems like who knows might happen down the road. Yeah. Um, so take us into, like, I mean, you develop success really early. I mean, 28 is really, really early. Yeah. And so walk us through a little bit more about 
the, the mindsets, the strategies that happen for that to happen? And how can someone that's getting in the game young hit, hit the numbers that you've hit by 28? Yeah. So I, this is like a unofficial plug for Mr. Buddy Mustache. Here we go. <laughs> but basically yeah, right. I found him in 2011 and then found out about Airbnb at the same time. And what I found out reading his blog is that he achieved financial independence by 30 and he used index funds, which is what most of the financial independence people do. And he had 600,000 in index funds. And so that was kicking off 2,500 a month, roughly. Um, and dividends. And I was like, cool, I can live that cheap because that's kind of where I was at anyway as a college student. And I was like, you know, I think it was 26. And I was thinking, could I do this by 30? I have like no money. I was like in debt, whatever, making minimum wage. But I'm like, I have now the belief that it's possible. And that was like enough to see that there was somebody who paved a way and said this can be done that that's the reason I think I found a way to do it in two years. I didn't really know about Airbnb. I didn't even know about cash flow. And I found out, oh, actually, I don't need to have 600 grand in index funds because these homes will make me, you know, a thousand, two thousand a month each. And then I'm actually in financially independent. So it happened really fast. And so I think, I think real estate is a way to get there faster than, you know, other people do it through saving. Um, but I also think it's just about like understanding money creatively and being able to pull both of those levers, the money-making lever, as well as the, um, spending lever, saving lever. Absolutely. So I'm loving this story so far. So, I mean, you just told us that you found out essentially about finding financial freedom at the age of 26 mm -hmm. and you accomplished it. But at age of 28, um, that is so impressive. Like, could we get into the strategy that you use to find these properties? Did you find them on the MLS? Were you doing off market or, or just kind of curious, like how this all came about? Because that is such a short time frame. Yeah. Me. So it, it was basically arbitrage, what they call arbitrage now, which is essentially subletting. And at the time, nobody knew really what Airbnb was. I mean, they were talking about it a little bit in like LA and New York. And I was doing it in Boulder. So it was like barely anybody was renting, but I just figured, you know, I'd try this thing my friend recommended. So I started by, I was living in a two bedroom that I was renting from somebody else and I had it fully furnished. I had a roommate who decided to move out and I thought, well, you know, all the furniture's there. I've got towels and sheets. Like I'll just put somebody in here. If it doesn't work, I just get another roommate. And so I started with that and then I started renting out my room and, you know, pet sitting or trying to stay with friends or do whatever I could to be out of my property until I felt like I needed to get another one. Then I lived between two rentals for two years. I just lived in a, I had a little suitcase and whatever place wasn't rented, I went to, um, and I cleaned them myself and I was just being scrappy about it. But that was basically what it took. I mean, I didn't even need to own the rentals and that was enough cash flow. But what I did that I think is the important step is that I took the money and went and bought a place. And so, you know, all my properties have, except for one, came from the MLS. I'm not doing anything creative and hard to do or whatever. It's just that I stuck my neck out to do it. Oh, this is absolutely tremendous. So you keep saying the word scrappy. So I, I love the word scrappy. Um, I would love to dive a little bit deeper sure. into the word because um, I think it's like also one of the most important skill sets to have, right? Because if you're scrappy, you're resourceful, you could figure things out on the fly. 
Um, do you feel like you've always been scrappy? Do you think that's been developed over time? Was it a natural gift? What are your thoughts? There? Well, my father was, he was a dreamer, but he was also a hustler. My dad was the kind of person who could sell ice to an Eskimo. He just could tell a story and weave a whole thing and everybody was on the edge of their seats. But he never could figure it out, really. It was like the moment, he was like self-sabotaging himself. So the moment he made money, he would spend it all on toys. He was like an eternal teenager. He just didn't quite figure it out. Um, so I think I got a lot from him. And then I got this other balance from my mother that was more around generosity and honesty and humbleness. And so it was, it's just kind of a weird merging. But thank God for the entrepreneurial creative stuff, because if I didn't have that, I'm like, what would I be doing? So yeah, Scrappy comes from him. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So you're arbitraging these properties. You're yeah. making enough cash flow to live. You're building an excess cash flow. Then you start buying some properties that that then become arbitra or not arbitrage anymore, but properties that you own that you're Airbnb. Yeah. So early on in the game, you set your passive income bringing a financial goal at twenty five hundred bucks as a college student. Like, how have you seen or managed lifestyle creep? And obviously, it's very natural creep going from, you know college student to like, you know, and beyond, but how are you managing that financial in independence aspect as you go through life? Okay. I'm going to come back to the lifestyle creep and I wrote it down, so I won't forget, yeah. but I want to tell Perfect. you a little bit, cause this is kind of back to Tim's question of how I like transitioned into buying properties. And the way it was, is that I had a property that was a one bedroom and I was paying about 1100 a month for it. And that property I had managed for over a year as a short-term rental as I was like in and out of it. And the property was making me between 1700 and 4000 a month, depending on the seasonality. And so when I went to go buy my first property, when my mom was passing away, I, I had some money from her from a life insurance thing. And I went to go buy a property. I found one five minutes away, same kind of plan. But this time the mortgage was only going to be $900 a month. And so I thought, okay, I, I have already done this. I had the real estate training wheels of Airbnb. So I didn't feel like scared about it because I knew what this property could make. And so that was a really easy transition for me. And then I learned very quickly that real estate provides equity. That home in the first year appreciated at a hundred grand. And I just didn't really know that that could happen. And so that's why I tell people not to stay in arbitrage because you're never going to get those big gains if you don't do it. You have to actually pull the trigger and buy. Okay, lifestyle creep. So it's tricky. I think that for me, I could stay between three to 5,000. I talk to people about 3,000 to live, 5,000 to like want, you know, a month. But, um, it's tricky as a real estate agent. So uh, I don't know what your guys' jobs are, but when you're reinvesting in a business, it's so easy to just spend a lot of money on randomness. Yeah, like, oh, this social media guy or this or that. And so money can go pretty quickly, like, <laughs> right? Like sand through a sieve. So yeah, I, right now my cash flow is around like 8,500 a month, um, not, not including any of my active money. Um, and I think it's fine. Like, I think I could totally yeah. stop. I think it's just that I sort of keep going because I like it, but also that the real estate 
costs money, but it makes money. So it's tricky. Yeah. It is. One of the things I love about income that's coming through rentals is that it generally follows the inflation curve pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes if not better than the inflation curve. And so like one of the things that I think is interesting when you hear people that are focused on the stock market and then retirement is it's like, well, how much is enough to retire? And it's always this guessing game. Well, how long am I going to live? And what's going to happen? Do the spreadsheet. Where is it? <laughs> exactly. What's the spreadsheet? Yeah. And it's like with rentals, like I'm a little bit less concerned about that because I feel like, mm -hmm. okay, like if I could live on eight to 10,000 now, I could live on whatever the inflation of that will be when the inflation happens. Yeah. And so there might be periods of time where the rents decrease disproportionate to how prices are going up. But in general, I think they'll usually be pretty, pretty solid. I mean, unless if we have some insane house building thing where we overbuild for 30 years or 50 years, which I doubt yeah. will, will happen. But so, yeah, I really like that. And so you're now at a place where you feel very, very comfortable. Yeah. So like, was there like a turning point? I know there was a turning point for me when, when I had to find my number, I hit my number. Was there a turning point where it's like, okay, next thing in life? Or did you wake up and realize, hey, it's just Wednesday instead of Tuesday? Like, how did that go? Yeah. So when I realized that I hit my 2,500 a month, um, it was, like I said, right when my mom passed away. And so it was kind of just rough times anyway of just like some days are okay and other days I'm just so lost. I can barely like have a meal, you know, function in the world. And so it was just great timing to have the space to not have to work. Um, but at a certain point, you know, I'm 28 and I'm telling people I'm retired. You know, <laughs> I think people were like, ah, I th there's a guy once that, um, you know, I was like kind of dating and he told me like, it's so sad that you just don't have any ambition. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, well, <laughs> I have like, I hustled that much to get to the place, but it's, it's sort of that thing with goals that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, because if you haven't reached your goal yet, it's the deficit. Once you reach your goal, a lot of people are depressed. People don't talk about that, but it's like, now you have nothing to work towards, right? So that's kind of a shitty part too. And I think that's like the dogma of financial independence that people need to get into and talk about more is like, what do you do after? Oh, this is a tremendous answer. I love it. Like I could go a hundred different ways. Um, well, first off, what I love the, one of the most things I love is your number was so small, like 2,500 bucks. Yeah. You nailed it like right away yeah. and then you were happy with it. Um, and you're so right. So like relatively, right? Like I hit, you know, 10 to 15 K a month, like five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I did it really quickly. Also, like I pretty much was like a 90 to 120 day window. And yeah. I found very quickly that I was super depressed because like I had nothing to live for anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's weird, like how you were saying like, oh, I'm retired. And it's like, I never even considered that. I was like, how do I grow this? How do I make this way bigger? How do I make this so much bigger? And it's just like, like you just said, like, why sometimes, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, it's, is it just ego driven or for what, you know, like <laughs> what was the motivating factor? Um, for me, it was helping other people. Cause like I was doing well, but like I was alone all the time, solitude, being alone, not having that much social interaction. I mean, it's hard to enjoy life all that much. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose this is a statement more than a question, but I mean, it's just, you're spot on, like 
money's far from everything. Yeah. And I think kind of like what Matt was asking earlier about like, where do I see myself in the next couple of years is that I was on a plane to a conference and I was just like journaling a bit and I was trying to get to the why, because it, that's a slippery sucker that, that changes a lot. Um, and for me, the next couple goals that I can set that make, make me feel excited is retiring other people. It's like getting my, my fiance to have like a lot more flexibility and freedom in his life. So we're, we're like one property away for him um, to have his own portfolio and him feel secure. That's really fun. And then there's also, I, I bought a quad for my sister's kids. And so they've got their cool like college fund. But now I'm like, oh, what if I could do that for my other nephew who's physically in college right now? These other ones are little. Um, and, you know, I have another sister. So it's just like, what can I do for these other people now? Because I can keep building mine, but like, what's the point? You just throw it to the top of the, the pile. It seems a little bit redundant after a while. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, so it's super cool to be able to do this for people, bless them and whatnot, but like to some degree, we might be sending them to uh, to an earlier depression. Right. I mean, like That's true. the need to solve, the need to solve this is really like, so like I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, like years yeah. because it's like, you, you know, that to have a huge impact in the world, like to, I think to be happy, you have to be like highly productive in some sense. Like it, it, a lot of times it has nothing to do with money, like whatsoever. You yeah. just have to be providing a lot of benefit. And so it's like, to do that, you have to be in a growth mindset so that you're getting better at the thing that you're doing. And you have to be consistent over a long period of time. And like for most entrepreneurs, just the idea of consistency is like really hard, like really, really hard. I mean, me particularly. So I thought about like, well, given that I've not been consistent with almost anything in my life, how could I be consistent with something? And so like, I've went into this deep study, uh, self-study and like finding out like where, where like can true alignment exist. And for me, it's always been around like these ideas. And so for a long time, I, I was in sales or in the, the thing world, so to speak, the action world. And then like in this podcasting space, conversation space, like I don't think that the well ever runs dry. So like I am, I'm extremely hopeful and hoping to pass that hope on to you as well. Like I, I, I feel like the answer to the money problem, once you've hit financial independence is finding like, where is their alignment? So you can go just as hard as you were to get financial freedom, but in a completely different space, absolutely 100% unrelated to money whatsoever. Um, like what that's, if you don't want to go hard? I think that's a, maybe that's a like male versus female thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah, want and, to and it could be getting old. I don't know. <laughs> I just like, so, I want to go with ease. <laughs> I want to be in go. the flow and chill. Yeah. Oh God. Totally. Yeah. So like, I feel like this for me, like what we're doing right now, like, so we do five or six episodes every Friday. So like we wake oh, wow. up from seven or eight in the morning till five or six at night. Like that's what our days look like on Fridays. Yeah. But I'm just as pumped up Friday evening as I am Friday morning. Like it is like the best work day of my week by, by a large factor. And so like hard's probably not the right word, even though we work like crazy. But it's really like, I think it's my easiest access to like a flow state. So like a mm -hmm. sense of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, it's it's kind of under our, maybe it like aligns with peace to some degree. I mean, there are certain things that surround it that, that are non-peaceful, but, but generally speaking, like, yeah, like 
a lot of people could invite me to do other things on a Friday and it would be an easy no. Interesting. Like a very, very easy no. I I mean, I love it. Yeah. It's great that you found, like you're saying, it feels like you're in alignment with it. And one day you might not be, and then that'll be the time to stop doing that. Correct. And you run a podcast. Like, I mean, like if you were doing reflection in your life, because you have plenty of time now to do that, if you so choose, like what are moments or things where you feel like, like, have you had moments where you're like, yes, like this feels right. This feels super good. Like I could do this either a lot more or all the time or. Yeah. But I think it changes for me a lot as well. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I think that I love having space because I love spontaneity and I love to see like, what do I feel like doing? Where, what's my desire and my draw this morning rather than waking up, having a full calendar and going like, I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> you know? right. right. It sounded good yeah. at the time that I scheduled it, but now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's awesome. I and mean, obviously you're shooting this from Hawaii, yeah. which is, which is pretty amazing. So like, tell me about like, I mean, you obviously love to travel. Tell me like what, what, how do you use your time normally fill up these days? Yeah. Well, I guess that's different depending on where I'm at as well. So I work Tuesday, Thursday, I'll actually have meetings with people. And Wednesday is more of a podcasting and like admin day. And then I don't work the other days. It's Friday today, but I'm doing book tour and this is the only thing on my calendar. So you're welcome. You guys are here. Um, it's probably because you only book Fridays. I see you. Um, but yeah, I, I think that what is important for me is that I need enough time. And those Mondays and Fridays are like those times where I can just be like, what's somebody doing today? Go on a hike, go this morning. I went paddle boarding. Um, I need to have that flow and I need to be around people. What a tremendous answer. I loved like when you, when you mentioned the calendar thing, he's like, Oh, it felt like a good idea when it was set. And it's just like, now that the day is here, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It sounds like you're spontaneous and somewhat impulsive in nature, but it also sounds like you built your life where that's totally fine. And it doesn't even matter because obviously you have some dedicated times to working, but it seems like your schedule is mostly free. Yeah. Um, did you do that intentionally from the very beginning or is that something you developed over time? Yeah. So I used to do massage before I did, um, real estate and I learned pretty quickly that I have the Sunday scaries. That's what we call them. But I get like nervous. I get anxious for Monday on Sunday night. And it's this sort of like scarcity thing, the weekend's over and all this stuff. So I just start my week on Tuesday. So that was something I learned in, <laughs> in massage. And now I've, I've kind of come along with it in in this business as well because it's just like by the time Tuesday rolls around, everybody's in their flow and you can kind of feel the communal energy and Tuesday's exciting, but Monday, Monday's scary. So that is such an interesting thing that you just said. The Monday scaries. Um, I could relate when I was a W two person. Like I probably called off more Mondays than anybody else in the world. Yeah. But like now, Mondays excite me. So I mean, That's life great. is totally different yeah. because I choose my own path now. Whereas before, somebody else would tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, I I just love that comment. The Monday scaries. <laughs> um, so you just start your day on Tuesday. Yeah. What a, what a simple solution. Um, I I I think you're like super creative. Like. Uh, it's hard to like even put you in a box, which I just think is a wonderful thing because obviously f- from a very young age, you just thought differently. 
Like you're just like, oh, I just need twenty five hundred dollars a month. Like that's it. Yeah. And then you just did it in two years. Um, so do you feel like your creativity drives your passion in life or because I mean, you're clearly very creative. Yeah, the creativity is really important to me, as well as being a connector. I love pe putting people together with other people, just listening about what somebody's needing and then going like, ooh, this person, you know, it's just like, that's so fun to me. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean, you guys are really having me like deeply think about my purpose and like who I am and how yes. I function. Yes. But I'm like, yeah, yes. uh, creativity yeah. is probably my favorite part about real estate is that you can look at something I think this is an important skill is that you can look at something on the MLS and go, okay, this deal doesn't work as a long-term, but if you short-term, if you medium-term, if you do this, if you house hack, how many ways can you make this deal a deal when all people see is like, oh, numbers don't work and you can't buy anything now. So that's just part of it. And so I think the creativity is really that like through line. I'm going to take this away, Tim. This is going to be my thing now. But it's even what I enjoy the most about doing like investor consultations. When I'm talking to people, they come with their problems and I go, Ooh, did you think about that? Have you gone here? Ooh, let's like do this. I'll connect you with that person. And that's the stuff. That's the magic. Yeah. I just love that response so much. Um, Cause creativity is like my favorite part about real estate and podcasting and just about everything that I'm doing. Because yeah. when I'm confined to a box, I just, I can't live there very long. Basically there's a, there's a very small time limit that I could do a certain activity forever unless creativity is involved. Yeah. And I loved your mentioning of just connecting people together because that is like, I think it is so underutilized by uh, most people. Like if you, could find and meet a lot of super successful people like yourself and and just connect them together like you're just playing middleman and you're basically playing the role of the broker and you could still profit very strongly mm -hmm. so i mean connecting and creativity i, I love everything that you're talking about Ziana. yeah and even if so it's you... not for money sorry matt but it's like oh, social currency i'd say is like knowing that you're somebody that helps other people. It's like people feel excited to come back and, and keep you in their thoughts, right? Because you connected them to somebody great and stuff. So I think it's a really valuable skill, but it's something that I just am. I don't know that it's for everybody. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to give this back to Matt, yeah, but I just yeah. want to say like social currency is far, far more valuable than any monetary currency in the world. Like it's not even close. So tell us, tell us, you got a book out. Yeah. So tell us about it. It's called 30 Day Stay. I have it here. I don't know if we're recording video as well. Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. um, we it's the yeah. investor's guide to mastering the medium term rental. And, you know, it's really niche. -y. You have to be into medium term or short term rentals, but it's got a lot of cool case studies and stories. I wrote it with another person, Sarah Weaver, and we wanted to make it, um, just like learning through story rather than it just being a how-to book because I find that that gets dry. I read a lot and I, I just get bored easily, but we were really detailed. And so I really think you could pick up that book and then go out and get a rental and just be like, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? You know, it's all there. So yeah, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. 
I'm super excited to read it. Do you guys have it on audiobook or just paperback? Um, it's going to be on audiobook too. It, we're in pre-sales uh, right now. And so it all releases November 8th through Bigger Pockets. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious. I mean, this yeah. is kind of off topic here, yeah. but you know, I have some inklings down the road of, of authorship. Yeah. So the audiobook process, is that you narrating? Did you hire a narrator? Where, how does that like develop? Don't get me started. I'm, this is, <laughs> okay. okay. I love bigger pockets and working with them has been a dream. And they didn't let us record the audiobook in our voices. We auditioned, but they thought that it would be too much editing. There's a difference between a regular person and someone who's a professional audiobook person. They just know how to not make as much noises and things that need to be edited. But I think that this has personal stories and there is something about people connecting to you as a person that is just not as good. Whenever I listen to audiobooks, I try to get the ones that are author read. The other ones sound a little robotic to me. So anyway, there's I nothing I can do about that. I completely and utterly <laughs> agree. Like, yeah, I me too. 100 so times thankful. out of 100. I mean, I'm sure there are some authors out there. You'd be like, all right, you should have let the other person. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm super excited. So yeah, happy to pick it up. And I'm, I'm a crazy audiobook listener. I do read hard copies a little bit, but as soon as the audiobook's out, I will, I will be listening. Well, good. Thanks. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you think. I mean, even if you just skip ahead and go to the stories, I feel like the stories are good. <laughs> I love stories. Story yeah. time. Oh, yeah, the stories are amazing. I'm looking forward to that. I need to get one of these jobs as an audible reader or yeah, something. Yeah, you do. We get, we get so many compliments on my voice. It's crazy. I should just, pick, I should just read books for a living. That'd be great. There you go. Um, <laughs> Don't leave me hanging here, though. <laughs> oh, I'll still do this, too. Don't worry. All right, cool. Um, were you going to say something, Matt? Yeah, so so the book comes out, the book's out, and then the audio book comes out on the, you said November 8th? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where, where are the best places for people to get it? So biggerpockets.com slash 30 day stay is the place to get it. And if you want a discount, you could use my name. Ziana gets you 10% off. Ziana. Yep. Z-E-O-N-A. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ziana, thank you so much for coming on our show, yeah. particularly on a Friday, which is normally your day off. Yeah, you guys messed up my whole day. <laughs> you did it for us. So thank you. I hope the rest of your day, I mean, now you're in Hawaii, so it's yeah. two hours earlier. So hopefully yeah. you still have a lot of great times this afternoon and evening, but totally. thanks again for sharing your story. And I mean, really getting vulnerable with us, which we always love and appreciate. Oh, yeah. It Such makes a good, it so real for good talk. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again. And guys, if you're out there listening, please take what she said, take some action. I mean, look at how she went just in a couple small transactions, went from zero to financial freedom, didn't even have to buy the properties, but then got to later on. So take some action, get her book, read it, implement it. If this strategy makes sense for you, guys, freedom is only one action away. So take notes, take action, have somebody hold you accountable. And soon enough, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.